It is such an honor to be here. Uh, my wife, Mary, and I consider Tim and Laura Lee some of our closest friends. And this is how you know they're close friends. There is a very, very small group of people that I will travel with. Yeah, you guys the same way? Because nothing will test your friendships like traveling with someone. We love traveling with them. We've had the privilege of going to many different places in the country and even out of the country, and we just consider them dear friends. And Tim, everything he says about me, I can say about him. It is just a blessing in my life to be able to have his friendship and his leadership, his example. There have been multiple times that I have faced situations where I I honestly would not be able to resolve my issue, and I've called Tim, and he stepped in and helped us. A couple examples, during COVID, uh, we literally had one time where every single teaching pastor got sick the same week, and so we reached out, Mary, my wife was like, what are you gonna do? And I was like, I'm gonna call Tim. Tim came, so he recorded a message for his church and then came and recorded one for our church, which we so appreciated. And then this past year, I invited Tim to come speak at our church, and then something else happened that we needed another speaker for our youth camp in South Carolina. And my wife, again, was like, what are you gonna do? And I said, I'm gonna call Tim. And so I called Tim and said, hey, by chance, would you be willing to come to South Carolina and teach? And it happened to be the same week. So he taught at our church on Sunday, came that week, spoke to our teens, did a phenomenal job. But that really just is the character of who he is. Phenomenal man of God. And I mean this genuinely. He loves you as much as he can possibly love a church. And the only person he loves more than you is God. And so can you guys just celebrate and honor your pastor, Tim? The next reason why it's such an honor for me always to be here is because of how kind you guys treat me. Um, I, I have the privilege, I actually run into you guys sometimes out in public, and uh, I had a, at Aldi just a, a couple months ago, I was in Aldi, and this lady just screams, Pastor Matt! And I turned to her, and I didn't know if she went to my church or not, and I had, just hadn't met her yet, and so I just did like the, the kind of like awkward smile thing, and I was like, hi. And she just goes, oh, you don't know me, I go to X Church, and then she went to tell me how much she loves X Church, and uh, it was a neat moment. But here's my, my favorite story. Uh, my daughter is in fifth grade, and last week, so just this past week, uh, a kid in her class came up to her and saw that she was wearing a tree church shirt and goes, oh, do you go to the tree church? And she goes, yeah. He goes, I go to the X church, and the X church is better. <laughs> so thank you for teaching your kids to talk trash to other churches. That feels a little aggressive, but you know. So I asked my daughter, what did you do? She goes, I punched him, and I said, good for you. Good for you. No, I'm just This last part I made up, so. All right, do me a favor, if you have a Bible, electronic device, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, Whenever I come here, the the purpose that I have in my heart is I want to teach something that will be an encouragement to you. I genuinely hope that at the end of the teaching that you will understand more fully that God loves you, I, I want your faith to increase, and today we're gonna look at a story that I think will do that, but before we get to that, I just wanna try to get all of us on the same page. And there is something that I, I know unites all of us, and that is we face challenges in our life. I don't have to convince you of that. I don't have to convince you that at times life can be difficult, that you can face situations that can cause stress and anxiety, because that is the rhythm of life. I mean, you don't have to have much age behind you before you realize how true that is. And, and for each one of us, our struggles and our challenges are different. There are times that we will go through the same things that other people go, but go through, but we all have unique challenges. So today, your challenge might be relational. Maybe there's some tension in your dating relationships. Maybe there's some tension in your marriage. Like I know my wife and I, I'm very blessed that we have a healthy marriage, but I'll be the first one to tell you there are days that we are frustrated with each other. There are weeks, there are months, there are seasons of life where we both don't feel that we're being loved the way that we desire to be loved, and so there's those seasons where that's the challenge of our life. 
Maybe your challenge is with a sibling or a parent or maybe a coworker. Maybe your challenge is with someone that you're actually here today with. You're sitting next to each other. You both know you're frustrated and it's what's consuming your mind and your heart. And so I, I, whatever your challenge might be, if it's relational, I want you to think about that today. It's possible that the challenge that you're facing is financial, that every single month you just have the same rhythm, that the bills just keep coming over and over and the finances don't seem to be enough or it's just barely enough and so it creates that stress and that anxiety where you have to pay this bill and you delay the paying of this bill and you're thinking about it all the time. So again, maybe your challenge is financial. Maybe your challenge is physical. Maybe you're just sick or you've had an injury. Maybe you've recently gone to the doctor and they've told you a negative health report. And so you're thinking about that or you're experiencing just what it means to, to be sick and how that impacts you and, and every element of your life. Maybe, maybe the challenge that you're facing is one that you have faced for a very long time. Maybe it's even one that you've tried to overcome. You might even call it an addiction. And you've had some success maybe at some points, but then it seems like you always go back to failure. And, and so this has been the rhythm. It's been a challenge for so long, even if it's not an addiction, it's just something you face for so long that it's possible that you come here today without hope. And when you think about it, you go, yeah, I know that's a challenge, but it's just never gonna change. Maybe the, the challenge that you have is that it's not really a sin versus not sin type of thing. Maybe God's just calling you to take a step of faith or to change something in your life, and, and you know God is calling you to do it, you feel it, but if you're being honest, you're also a little overwhelmed and a little scared by it. And here's what I want us to do, this is where I wanna begin, I wanna get us all on the same page. I want you to define the it, whatever it is in your life, whatever the challenge is, whatever it is that is impacting your quality of life the thing that you think about when you put your head down on the pillow to go to sleep, the thing that, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, I have, I'm, I'm kind of by nature a restless sleeper, but where I've awakened in the middle of the night and immediately my brain goes to the it, where I think about it and I, I have that anxiety, that stress, and you go back to sleep and then you wake up in the morning and there it is. And throughout the day, it's always there. It's what causes stress and fear and anxiety. It's what starts to impact other elements of your life. I want you to think about that. Because today, as we look at this truth, I want you to make it personal so that you can apply this truth to that situation. And one of the things that we oftentimes say in our culture that on the surface seems very kind and very supportive, my, my personal opinion is it's not really the truth, but one of the things that we say to people when we discover that they're going through a season of difficulty, whenever they explain the it to us, is we might say things like, you can do it. The answer is inside of you. If you dig down deep, you will find the wisdom. If you dig down deep, you will find the strength and, and you'll be able to overcome it. I want everyone to hear me. I don't say this to be Debbie Downer, but when you think about that, sometimes that's true. You, if you're making bad decisions in your life, and you can start making better decisions. Okay, so sometimes that's true. But oftentimes it's not. And I actually find that type of advice to be similar to what happens every year around graduation where there's always some commencement speaker that gets up and in their speech they tell the audience, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything you want. <laughs> Sounds awesome, it's not true at all. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest, it's not true, right? You can wanna make it to the NBA, but if you're five foot two, it ain't <laughs> happening. 
Like you might not like that. You know, I know for me, like I'm not super musical. I could practice every single day an instrument all day long and I'm not making a symphony at some point, okay? What we need to say is we're probably more resilient than we can imagine and if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish more than you can imagine. But the reality of when we look at this situation, there are some things that we face, the it, that sometimes we just simply have to acknowledge the it is greater than me. That what I'm facing in front of me, I can't overcome. I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the power, I don't have the resources. And again, today's message is gonna be encouraging, but it has to begin here. I mean, and you know this. If you had your spouse walk in on you and just tell you, I want a divorce, the answer is not deep down inside of you. When the economy tanks and you might lose your job, you can't just reach down inside of you and find the answers. If you're in a doctor's office and they come in and they give you a devastating health report, it might not be anything you can do on your own to resolve that. Sometimes it's just a fact of life. The it is greater than me. And I know I've had to start to learn that and as I've gotten older, I've become more and more comfortable with it. I was thinking about it. I've been the lead pastor of our church for over 11 years. But when I first became lead pastor, it was in this very, very difficult season of transition at our church. And when I first took leadership over and, and I was trying to guide our church, this is not an exaggeration. For three straight months, 12 weeks in a row, our attendance was less than the week before. And so I had never been a lead pastor before. I had been an executive pastor. I'd been a youth pastor, never been a lead pastor. And all of a sudden, I'm the lead pastor. So for the first time ever, the church is in steady decline Offerings were half or less what they had been. People are leaving, people are frustrated. And I'll just be honest with you, that it was greater than me. I had no idea how to resolve that season. And I've learned that in parenting. When I first became a parent, I was fully expecting to love my kids, and that was true. Do you know what I wasn't expecting? That their pain would become my pain that I would sense it in a way that I just couldn't imagine. I would have never thought before I had kids that I would ever have a desire to go into a school and beat up a fifth grader. And not only beat up a fifth grader, if I'm being honest, beat up their parents too. All right? You guys, you guys sense it and some of you are like, oh, that's super violent. Yeah, because that's how Papa Bear is with his kids, you know? And so you, you feel that emotion and, and I'm telling you, when my kids are hurting, I can cry with them. I can hug them, but there are times that it is greater than me. I can't take away that pain. And during the COVID season, I wasn't prepared for the COVID season. None of us were as pastors. I remember making, recording the video to my church and saying, hey, we're gonna pause in-person services for a week, maybe two. Do you guys remember that season? Have you all blocked it out of your minds? It happened in 2020, if you forgot. But we, I just remember saying to our church, maybe two weeks. And in my mind, I thought, that's the absolute worst, three weeks. I would have never imagined that we would go in person, out of not be in person for six months. And I remember when that happened and, and immediately, the first couple of weeks, offerings went so dramatically low and we just didn't know what was gonna happen that I remember this devastating moment for me as a pastor where I sat in my office alone with a list of my employees and I was trying to create a list of who I would have to let go in what order. And I remember crying because these were my friends, I knew them, I knew their spouses, I knew their kids. And it was just the most scary season I'd ever gone through as a pastor. And it wasn't unique to me. Every pastor I knew was going through the same, similar things. And what I had to recognize and what we have to recognize is that at times we will just simply face something 
that we don't have the power to change. We don't have the answers. No matter the wisdom, the strength, the money, the power, it does not matter. And for some people, when they hear this, and they start to come to this realization, they go to despair. Some people just start to shut down in their life. Others will run to things to try to numb the pain. Others might give up or grow angry. Many people will just try to distract themselves. But here's what I wanna do today. I wanna give you true hope. That when you begin with understanding that some situations are greater than you, that from that place you can cry out to a God who cares. And that God will meet you. And this is why I wanna look at this story today. And the story we're gonna look at, I intentionally picked one that we would all know And and even if you're not a person of faith and you're not a religious person, there's a good chance that you know some uh, some key parts of this story. It's the story of David and Goliath. But here's what I hope, that you will see a truth that maybe you've never seen before or that maybe this will just reignite faith, reignite God's love for you in your heart. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give you three truths as we walk through this story. And I'll just begin with the first one. You have to put the it in perspective. And it will start with one perspective that will eventually change. But the it in perspective, it begins with what we've already said, that sometimes the it is greater than me. So let's pick up in verse one, and then I'm gonna read some verses, and then I'll explain. It's kind of my rhythm of teaching. So in verse one, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. Skipping to verse three. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze or 120 pounds. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron or 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. This is a pause, I kind of break it down in case you're not familiar with this story. There were two nations, Israel and, and the Philistines, the two groups of people, I should say. And they were constantly at war with each other. So much so that at this story where it takes place, Saul is king of Israel, and one day Saul will die in a battle with the Philistines. And so there was constant tension, and they would battle, and, and what would happen if, if one of the nations or groups of people won a battle, then they would conquer certain cities and towns, and then they would take all of the valuable things and enslave the people, and then it would kind of go back and forth. But where this story picks up, they are ready for battle. They each have taken high positions on the hillside or the mountainside, and in between them is a valley. And so they're getting ready to go to war, but then from the group of the Philistines is this man named Goliath of the city or the town of Gath, which was known for having exceptionally large people. And Goliath steps out and he's going to, in a moment, make a challenge to the Israelites. But just kind of note what he looks like. He is six cubits tall. A cubit is roughly 18 inches. So he is somewhere between eight and 10 feet tall. But we can tell from the context of the story, he's not a thin person. So oftentimes when we think about someone really tall, we think about NBA players and oftentimes they can have thin frames. But you understand from how they describe his armor, having 120 pounds of the coat of mail and having a, a, a helmet and all the weapons on him and someone that's carrying his shield and would be carrying his sword, that Goliath wasn't simply a tall person of nine, 10 feet tall, but he was also a behemoth of a person. I mean, he's just a large man. The Israelites, on the other hand, according to history, the average height of the Israelites is roughly five, uh, five feet, five inches. So again, not future NBA players, right? I mean, just 
Yeah, that joke didn't work first service either. I tried it because I thought you guys had better energy. All right, it's all right. You live and you learn. Okay, so, but they were shorter. So I want you to picture this. Five foot five is the average height. Their king, Saul, is about six foot three because he's a head taller than all of them, but about five foot five and then a giant. I mean, almost double their size. So then Goliath comes out, and here's the purpose. He comes out to mock them. In verse eight, it says, he, Goliath, stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So here's Goliath's challenge. He says, we don't have to make all of these men go to war. We don't have to, all these men where we'll each have losses and death. Instead, just send out your best fighter and we will fight. And if you conquer me, then we will serve you. If I conquer you, then you guys will serve us. And there's this key moment where all of the men of Israel, they are being challenged, not simply as a nation, but they're being challenged as individuals. And each one of them, beginning with the king, King Saul, would have to take stock in their own ability as they evaluated what could potentially be their competition, Goliath. And so each one of them would have thought about their past experiences in war and battle, how skilled they were, how strong, how quick they are. They would have thought about their successful times, their failure of times, and they would have been able to look at Goliath and anticipate what a man of his stature would be like in battle and war. And they all had to evaluate, and again, beginning with the King Saul. And so as they looked at this, this is what scripture says of how they responded. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So they looked at themselves and they looked at it, they looked at Goliath and what they discovered and what they realized is it is greater than me, right? I mean, they looked at this warrior and they just thought, there's no chance we win. I mean, if you go out to battle and just imagine it, this man of that size, his spear would be so long, he would have a javelin he could throw, he'd have a sword, but his spear would be so long, before you ever got up to him, he could just reach out and stab you and, and kill you. And, and they looked at it, and they just like, there's no hope. And this giant, every single day, would just come out and mock them, and not only mock them, but mock their God, because that's what each nation represented when they went to battle. They represented their God. And so that's why he was mocking them and going, I thought you guys served Saul. I thought you guys were the people of Israel. I thought you were God's chosen people. And, and day after day, he mocked them. But they looked at Saul, they looked, or they looked at Goliath, they looked at themselves, and they went, it is greater than me. Now this might shock you. I think their response is 100% logical, right? Because they're just looking at it in the physical, it absolutely makes sense. Nine out of nine times, 10 out of 10 times, however much you wanna say it, if they go to battle, Goliath wins. And it's so easy for us as people like of faith and we're reading the scriptures to look back on these types of people groups and to kinda of go, oh, if they only had faith, right? Like we kind of like in arrogance, like, oh, we would have handled that differently. No, you wouldn't. Because think about it, as they would go, like for us, if, if God calls us to take a step of faith and we don't, we might have some embarrassment about that, but there's another chance. If you go and take this step of faith and it doesn't work out, he chops off your head as a trophy. That's literal, what they would do. 
to show other people. Your life is over. And so they were dismayed. But then this other person, David, steps onto the scene. And David will become a legendary figure in Israel. He'll become the greatest king they ever had next to Jesus. And David becomes a, a warrior king and has all the success. But in this moment, this is before all of that. In this moment, David is just a boy. He's most likely about 12 years old, maybe 15 at the absolute most. But he's a young boy and he's a shepherd. And his, he had eight older brothers, but three of them were in the army of Saul. And so David's father said to him, so his father's Jesse said, go and, and take supplies to your brothers, check on them and bring a token back from them just to let us know that they're okay. So David goes there and he drops off the supplies with the man in charge of all the bags. He goes and he finds his brothers and he's talking with them. And, and while he's communicating, it's that time of day when Goliath comes out and mocks the nation of Israel. And David overhears it. Verse 23, as David talked with them, his brothers, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So all of the men were kind of spread out. Goliath starts to walk. They all go take positions of defense. They run away because they're afraid. And, and David's witnessing this and, and Goliath would have been mocking and they, he would have heard his whole spiel. And then as this happens, David starts to hear the soldiers talking amongst themselves. And maybe this was just gossip or maybe this officially was the word that had been spread. But the men were like, man, can you imagine if any man was brave enough to go out there and kill Goliath? What would happen to him? The king would make him rich. The king would give one of his daughters, which would make that person a part of the royal family, which meant that their, new, their family would no longer have to pay taxes. I mean, this would change the whole trajectory of any family name. Like, this is a big deal. And, and David, this young boy, hears this, and he's like, say what? Like, tell me this again. What are you guys saying? This can't possibly be true. Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Let's pause, because that feels like a very oddly specific insult. <laughs> He's like, this Philistine who's uncircumcised. Okay, let me give you some context. The people of Israel, the men of Israel, on the eighth day of their life, they would have been circumcised. This was an outward expression of a commitment that they were entering into a covenant relationship with God. If a man, when he was older, wanted to become into this relationship, he would be circumcised in the moment of his faith. It, what we now do in water baptism. Can we all say praise God for water baptism? <laughs> and so things have changed. The women would have been under the patriarchal society, so they would have been under their fathers and then their husbands. And so what David's declaring is this guy is not part of a covenant relationship with God. And then verse 27, he says, and the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So David hears this and he goes, you're telling me that whoever kills this man will be rich? He's like, I'll do it, I'll do it. And his brothers get mad at him and he kind of blows them off and then people get mad, but the word gets back to King Saul. And King Saul calls for David. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Here's what David is declaring, I will go, I will fight, 
I will kill him, and this will be over. So David, this young boy, is saying that. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. David looks at the situation and goes, I can do it. I can kill the giant. Saul looks at him and goes, no, you can't. You're a little boy, and he's been killing people since he was a young boy. Again, this might sound shocking. Both of them are correct from their perspective. Both of them are correct from what is their realities. Saul is looking at this as a man of war. Saul had experienced war. He had fought in wars and battles. He's seen the devastating effects. And so he's just simply looking at this in the physical. A young boy does not take on a giant. If, if this would happen 100 times, 100 times, David would lose in the physical. Saul is 100% correct from his perspective, from his reality. David is looking at the exact same situation, but he has a unique perspective, a different reality. And so both of them are right. And so David wants to explain to Saul why he's right. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Just pause here for a second. If you don't know the next verses and you're just reading this, you might think what David is saying is, Saul, just trust me, I'm a better warrior than all of your men, because here's what I've done in the past. In the past, I, when I was a shepherd and a lion came and stole one of the lambs, I actually tracked the lion down on foot, I grabbed it by its, its beard, and I hit it, and I killed it, and I saved the lamb. Same thing happened when a bear came, so your men might be afraid, but I'm an incredible warrior, I can do this. That's what it might look like David is saying. But when you go to the next verse, you clearly understand David's perspective. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, go to David, or said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now I want everyone to just soak this in, what was David's perspective. David's like, here's what I know. When those moments happened in the past where I tracked down a lion and a bear, I understand this truth. Children do not kill lions. Children do not kill bears. What I am fully aware of is in those moments, what I experienced was a supernatural move of God in my life to be able to kill them. And so in this situation, what separates me from Goliath is I am in covenant relationship with God. This uncircumcised Philistine is not in a relationship with God. So when I go out to battle, God is with me, God is not with him. And so he looked at this situation and said, I will be victorious not because of my strength and my power. I will be victorious because God is with me. What David realized is that God is greater than it. And I want you to think about your situation. Because in your situation, it can very much parallel this story. That just as Goliath came out for 40 days, day after day after day, and mocked the nation of Israel, it's possible that that's exactly how the it in your life feels. That it's mocking you. That it's plaguing you. That it's impacting your quality of life. And you might look at it and think, I don't have the strength, I don't have the power, and that would be absolutely correct. But what you can't lose sight of is you have an invitation from the living God. 
to be in a relationship with him. And when you enter into that relationship, what happens is God's promises to meet with you and to take on the it. That God becomes your deliverer. God becomes your defender. See, if David would have just taken a step back and just looked at his own ability and looked at the ability of Goliath, David would have clearly understood it is greater than David. Goliath wins this. David would have understood that. He wasn't a fool, even though he was young. But David's perspective was so radical because of his past experience, because he had those moments where he took those leaps of faith and God met him there. David knew that this situation would be no different. And so what he realized once again is that God is greater than it. And so David goes out to battle. Saul tries to give him his armor. David goes, nope, I've never practiced with this. I don't need your armor. Instead, he gets five stones, puts it in his pouch, takes a sling, and goes out. And when Goliath sees him, Goliath is actually annoyed that they sent David. He's offended by this. He says, he looks at the skinny legs and skinny arms of David, and he calls him a stick. He goes, who am I, a dog that you come to beat me with sticks? Like, he's so annoyed. And he starts to say, I'm gonna kill you, and I'm gonna do all these things. He starts to make all these boasts. And then David gives one of the most hyped speech in all of scripture. I have a hard time reading this without getting chills. This is a type of speech that if you have a physical mic, at the end of it, you have to hold it out and you have to drop it because this is such an awesome moment. It says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that, the, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David goes, my power is in God, and God's going to make this obvious today. Now, can I just pause and note something? We teach this as a children's story. Is that kind of weird? Can you imagine reading that to your kid and being like, good night, sweetie. Turn the lights off, just meditate on that while you sleep. Okay, I'm just saying, it's a weird, weird moment, but, but here's what David is declaring. He is speaking this prophetically. He goes, this moment that we're in, it's really obvious, or it, what was kind of natural is for us in this moment to think this is just about this moment. This is just about me and Goliath. This is just about those who are watching. This is just about two armies. But David speaks this prophetically. He goes, this moment is so much bigger than us. This moment is gonna be something that all of the earth hears about. He was speaking prophetically that now, thousands of years later, in this city, in this church, in this moment, that all of us and our faith is being encouraged because a young boy back then knew that God is greater than it, and he took on the giant so that our faith can be encouraged. And so he goes on with the story. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to, to meet David, Dave, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And David runs up and takes Goliath's own sword and chops off his head and saves it as a trophy so that all the world would know the truth. This is critical for us because this story was given that our faith may be increased. Because when you look at this story, if I were to ask you, and I, I don't want you to yell the answer in case you get it wrong. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if I were to ask you the question, who, who beat Goliath? For most people, they, their immediate response is, well, David beat Goliath. 
Because that's how we've always heard it, the story of David and Goliath. But the truth of it is, David didn't beat Goliath. God beat Goliath. God beat Goliath through David. He was a critical part. He was the instrument that God used. But this is a story of God and Goliath. And the reason why this matters is when we think about our situations and our stories, many people in seasons of crisis will reach out to God. And there's nothing wrong with that. God in his love and in his grace meets us in seasons of crisis. But do you know God in his power and love doesn't simply wanna be the God in the season of crisis? God wants to go deeper. And for some of you, you might have the it that maybe at this point you're not, you're not, you don't know for sure if it's greater than you, but you go, you know what, the it has the potential to be greater than me? Then God would say, I wanna be the God in that situation too. If you're just having something that you're starting to kind of stress about, God goes, let me meet you there. But do you know he wants to go even deeper than that? If you have whatever it it is in your life, and, and maybe it's not greater than you, maybe you can resolve it, but you just have the thought, I just don't wanna face the it alone. Do you know God wants to be the God of that situation too? That no matter what you are going through, big or small, nothing is too big and nothing is too small, God wants to meet you there. But you have to decide, do I want to invite God in the situation? Do I genuinely believe this truth that God is greater than it? And if you do, I wanna end with just quickly some practical things. The question that I assume you would ask is how do we invite God into the challenge? So here's the second truth I wanna give you. Give the it to God. The first way that you do that is through prayer. Prayer is this supernatural gift from God that we are able to speak and our prayers enter into the holy of holies, into his presence. And what God says in the scripture is that when we do this, when we cast our cares to him, we can do so with the confidence that he cares about us. And so we pray and we release these things to God. And you know, prayer is a powerful thing. One of my uh, favorite books that I've read years ago says that prayer moves the arm that moves the world. Prayer is a supernatural thing. I'll give you a couple of stories just to increase your faith. Years ago, so at our church, one of our rhythms is our church will submit prayer requests throughout the week and on Sunday, and all of our staff will come together on Monday mornings, and we will spread out in our auditorium, and we'll put on some worship music, and we'll just go over the list, and we just pray over all the needs. And we used to have this lady that attended our church. She's now moved on to Columbus, but she attended our church for many years. Her name is Jan White. And Jan, every single week, would have the exact same request, and this would go on for years. I'm not exaggerating, many years. And her request, year after year, was, I'm praying for the salvation of my three sons. None of her sons were serving God. None of them knew God. And so she prayed for them. And so we prayed every single Monday, every single Monday. And one day, her son, Zach, came to church. And Zach got radically saved. And Zach, I mean, his whole life was transformed. The next day, in the prayer request, Jan White said, I'm praying for the salvation of my two sons. A few weeks later, a few months later, her other son gets saved. The next Monday in the prayer request, I'm praying for the salvation of my one son. A few weeks later, he gets radically saved. And so never again did we see that prayer request because God answered it. It took many years, but God was faithful. God was moving in the moment of that prayer. Zach White, her son, just a few weeks ago was named one of the campus pastors for Columbus Vineyard. He's now a pastor. I mean, yeah, it's an incredible story. Let me just tell you a little side note. When he got saved, 
all his friends got saved about the same time, and one of them actually attends your church. I didn't know that till this morning. He's a police officer in Pickerington, but his wife came and talked to me. But there's this really cool story. So Zach was on the way to a Green Bay Packers game. I think they knew one of the athletes there, and they were driving, and he had his friend who hadn't given his heart to Christ yet, and they were going back and forth and talking about it. And his friend goes, listen, I know Jesus is real. Like I know he was a person who lived 2,000 years ago, but how do we really know that Jesus is God? At the moment he asked the question, they looked up, and there was a billboard that said, Jesus is God, and he got saved. That's a true story. Isn't that incredible? But this is what prayer does. And for us as a staff at my church, years ago when we were still in our old building, we used to do prayer on the second story in room 220. And what I would do with the staff is I would say, give me the prayer requests, and they would give them to me, the ones that we're praying for, for our ministry. We needed more space, we needed volunteers, we needed God to move in unique situations. And so we started, they would give them to me and I'd put them on a screen and we would project it onto a wall, so much like a screen like that. And we'd project just the prayer requests all over it And during prayer time, we would just lift those things up week after week after week after week. Well, as our staff grew, we transitioned from that room down into the adult auditorium, and so we kind of left that. Well, many, many months later, actually years later, we went back, and we were looking on the computer, at least I was, and I found that image, and I put it up on the screen. And when I did, it was a very emotional moment, and I called all the staff that was there, and I said, I want you to look at this. This was what we prayed for for years. And as we looked up on the screen, almost every single one to the letter, God had answered, even though it took some of them months later, some of them years later. And when we looked at it, it was a very emotional time for us because there was many seasons where God seemed silent, where God wasn't responding. And what we didn't realize in the moment is even though God didn't work on our time schedule, God was still supernaturally moving. And so they increased our faith to where we still do this. And so the first thing is to pray. The second is we have to release it to God. And this is where faith is really tested. This is where it's difficult because so often we want to just go, okay, God, this is what I want, but in the meantime, I'm gonna do it my way. God, I I want a godly spouse, but in between, I'm gonna date a bunch of ungodly people. I'm gonna do all these things, and yet, God, I want you to give me the, the desires of my heart. God, I need you to bless my finances, but I'm not gonna honor you in my finances. And and so we we try to take control, and what we have to do is just release the things of God and say, God, I'm giving you full control on everything. I'm trusting in you. I'm not gonna interfere. You show me what to do. And I know for us as a church, one of the, or I'll just say for me personally, one of the most devastating seasons of my life in ministry, many years ago, we were just growing as a church. So when I became lead pastor, the, the first three months, we decreased in attendance every single week, but after that, we increased and, and have had increase every year with COVID. And so as we were starting to grow, I'm just a thinker, I'm a planner, I started to chart out our attendance numbers and graphing it, and I realized at this point, we're gonna have to go from two services to three services, and I kept the graph going, and I was like, at this point, we're gonna have to have a new church. And this was years into the future. So I started to cast that vision with our elders and with our staff and then with our church, and, and everyone got excited and on board with it. And so we found this ministry in Florida. It was a non-traditional lender, and they were like, yes, we'll loan you the money to buy the strip mall that you wanted. We'll, we'll give you the money to, to do the remodeling. So they gave us the money. We bought the strip mall. Everything was going on schedule. We're about you know, a few months out from starting construction. All of a sudden, they contact us, and they said, we don't actually have the money for the remodel. I was devastated. But I thought, you know what, I'll just go to a bank, and we'll make this happen. I pursued every single option I knew of, I could think of, and everybody said no. And I was devastated. I was so embarrassed as the lead pastor. 
I thought, God, I don't know how I missed you because I was seeking you, you were speaking to us, it feels like we were doing the right thing. I offered to God, I mean, all kinds of things. I offered to quit. God, if I'm the reason that's hurting the church, let me know, I will quit, bring in someone else. I started making promises to God. You ever do that? God, I will go to a church in Antarctica. You know, like, if you will fix this situation and nothing happened. And so I was devastated. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I had a breakdown. I actually, every single meeting at church became oppressive to me. If I was in any meeting where someone asked about the future, it just felt like the walls were caving in. And so I went to our elders and I said, this is a really unique request, but can I just work less office hours during this season? It, it was this critical season, but I was just overwhelmed. I said, can I come in the morning, go home in the afternoon? They were like, they were gracious enough. They said, yeah. Every day I would do that. I'd come home and I really did find peace in my home with my wife and but I would come home and I would go upstairs and I'd go up to my bedroom and day after day I would pray and I would cry and I was seeking God. God, I am so confused in this situation. And one day as I was praying, I was at the gym where I was working out. I was there by myself and I was working out and I was praying and God said, Matt, I'm in this situation. It's just my timing is different than yours. And what I realized in that season, God was doing something unique. We got our finances in better order we had more money stored away than we had before. We, we fixed some systems, we hired some key staff. And when the timing was perfect for us to go into our new building, God brought a, a lender to us supernaturally that allowed us to do it. And, and this is the cool part about it. This is, today is the fourth anniversary of us moving into our new building because God provided for what we needed. His timing was different, but he was faithful from the beginning. And then here's the last truth I will give you in this part. You have to obey. There are some times you have to charge the giant. And there are times that God will say to you, hey, this is what I need you to do. And you look at it and you go, that doesn't make any sense. And God goes, I, to you it doesn't, because the it is greater than you. But it makes sense because the it is not greater than me. And God says, charge the giant. So some of you are, are praying that your marriages will get better. And what God's saying to you is love your spouse regardless of if they change or not. Just love them first. Obey me first. For some of you, your finances are in disarray and you think, oh, when I get them in order, I'll start honoring God and my finances. And God goes, no, start with honoring me. Believe that I am greater than the economic system of our country. I can provide for you. For some of you, God's saying, forgive that person before they change, before they ever apologize. Step out in obedience. And I know for, for us during COVID as a church, and it was that difficult time and then we started to level off and things were, were going okay. Our youth ministry, this is so weird. But our youth ministry during COVID tripled in size. And, and I mean, our team was great. I'm not in any way knocking them because Mary is on that team. Mary, great job, okay? I'm not knocking them at all. But youth ministries don't typically triple during COVID. God was doing something unique. And so we were like, we gotta get them a space. And so we had this outbuilding on our property. We were thinking about remodeling that, but that wasn't really working out. And and we just knew, and God put it on our heart, and we were talking about it as elders, like, yeah, we need to do the space. Well, we always had planned for phase two of our building, to build a youth center. But nobody starts a construction project during COVID. Can I get an amen, Tim? <laughs> no one wants to do that. No one wants to move into a building like you guys had to. So you know this story. This parallels your story. But during COVID, we were hesitant, and then I had a gentleman in our church came in to meet with me. Not a wealthy guy from any measure from the outside, and he said, hey, can I just ask you why we don't start phase two? And I said, you know, it's not a good time, COVID, no one wants to borrow money and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, okay, let me just ask you. This is a good dude in our church. He goes, let me just ask you, what would it take? What would it take to start phase two? And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't know. 
$500,000 in an account that's not marked for anything. That would just give us a cushion. And he goes, okay, I'll give you $500,000. He actually wrote it on a piece of paper like in a movie. <laughs> it was really a cool moment. He slid across the table. I kept it. I laminated it. And I was like, this is a cool moment. What I did think later is like, should have asked for a million. But anyway, <laughs> 500000 Next day, he drops off a check. And I went to our elders and I said, guys, doesn't it feel like God is pushing us in a direction? And they said, yeah. And so we started a building program during COVID, which makes no sense. Well, in less than a month, we will open that youth center. And our youth ministry has doubled since that time because what God is doing is unique. Sometimes God says, charge the giant, and you need to. Here's the last thing I'll give you. Make this a habit. When this becomes the rhythm of your life where you Invite God into the situation through prayer, through releasing it to his control, obeying when he commands you to do. And this becomes the rhythm. You see that in David's life. It became his rhythm and it impacted his story. When you make this a habit, you will discover over and over in these steps of faith that your faith will increase and you will become more and more confident in the things of God. So here's what I wanna do is I just wanna end and pray over you. And I'd love for you to do something. I realize this is vulnerable, but I, this is a very, very safe place. If you're here today and you're going through a situation where you're facing an it and it's bothering you, it's impacting your quality of life, will you do me a favor and just raise your hand? Keep it real high for a second. Just look around the room. This happened the same thing first service. Majority of the room, look around, okay. Let me just pray for you and as I pray for you, you pray. God, we're so thankful that you're a God who cares about us emotionally and mentally and physically. You're a God who cares about the situations that we face. And so here's what I ask, is that right now, all of these men, women, youth, and children, and those that are watching online that are going through a season of difficulty, will you supernaturally meet them there? You've told us that when we surrender our things to you, that what you replace it with is a supernatural peace, and that's what I'm asking for, where your Holy Spirit give them a peace. And for those where it, it works according to your plan, God, we're asking you to slay the giant, to, to remove the it from their life. But for those where this it is a part of your plan to mold and to train and to do something unique, will you supernaturally give them wisdom, supernaturally give them peace? Will you empower them in this situation? And God, we are so thankful that we are not doing life alone. We are thankful that you are our friend. And so we surrender this to you in faith and we know you're gonna move. So we give you glory in advance. And as you move, increase our faith and always we will give you the praise. And we pray this in the most precious name of all, the name of Jesus, amen. I love you, X Church. Thanks for letting me be here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.